And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I love the Raiders. Most of all, I love the win. You are now listening to State of the Nation with Jimmy Durkin, Vic Tafer, Ted Nguyen, and Deshaun Reed on the Athletic Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to State of the Nation post-game edition here on the Athletic Podcast Network. Jimmy Durkin, Vic Tafer, Ted Wint, Deshaun Reed, ready to try to explain to you the Raiders' 26-25 loss to the Miami Dolphins that officially eliminated them from playoff contention and assured that for the 18th time in the last 19 seasons, the Raiders will not finish with a winning record. They will attempt to get to 8-8, eight and eight, which would just be the fourth time in that span that they have uh, been at least 500. Obviously, the 2016 season, the only time since reaching the Super Bowl in 2002 that they've had a winning record. If this was a different team, you would say it's unbelievable that they found a way to lose this game. But we were talking in the pre-production conversation that with the Raiders, you just you almost don't even blink. Their defense, uh, just a catastrophic mistake there at the end. I wasn't surprised. I mean, it's really amazing to say that. I mean, the, the, the sequence of events that happened, the, the long pass and the, the penalty. But I it just uh, you've seen so much of this team over the years. I kind of like I shrugged, took some notes down, and kind of like when I had to plan my story. But it's just amazing how you get used to so many uh, bad losses. And even Derek Carr said that this might be the hardest one of all. But it been a lot for him, especially for him. So, just a, a crushing, uh, crushing loss for this team that actually had fought hard and, and and played pretty well for the most for them at least for, for today. Yeah, being there live. Well, first it just kind of surprised me that like Arden Key was like in the vicinity of like the quarterback. Like while they like still kind of had the ball in their hand, you know that hasn't happened a lot this year. But then I realized like hits him in the head. I'm just like, bro, like what is and not, and not even just like taps him and like that light, you know, passing interference call or, or roughing a passer call. You get sometimes where you just t- raise him on the helmet. Like he's like raking him across the face, man. So I'm just, I was so stuck on that. And then I, I finally looked downfield and, and see the, the completion and the guy was wide open. I mean, and put two, two together from there, obviously, you know, it, it led to them being in a really good field position. But it was still surprising to me just because of the, the sequence of events. Like individually, either one of those things isn't that surprising, but together, with 19 seconds left and no timeouts, just all of it coming together at once. It was something to see in person. Maybe watch it on TV. It's kind of like, eh, whatever. But I was surprised anyway. You haven't been numbed enough by uh, by enough Raider games. <laughs> I've had a few this year. Give it a few more years. <laughs> it needs to set in. Like, you know, it takes a little time. But the last call was cover two. And we saw last week at the end of the first half against Chargers that they really struggle playing cover two because their corners like to bite up on the short stuff, even in situations where you want to prevent the long pass. 
every team has its like pseudo prevent defense. Like, you know, they have a call that they think is safe where they don't want to get directly into a prevent defense just yet. And the Raiders is cover two. And after what happened last week at the end of the Chargers game, you would think either they change that coverage or they really harp to their corners, do not bite up on the short stuff. And the funny thing about that play was there was nobody in the flats. David Arnett just started floating in like no man's land, which made the pass so wide open that a 45-year-old man could make that pass while getting his head torn off the other way. I don't know if it's coaching, if they didn't go over that you cannot let anybody, you know, get a free release down the sideline, or Damon Arnett just hasn't not been paying attention in meetings. But either way, it's just an epic failure on the team. I would say it's coaching in this circumstance just because, I mean, I, I know they consider it a safe call, but in cover two, I mean, what's open on the field is, is typically the corners, right? And that's, if you don't have any timeouts left and you need to get in the field goal range, that's the area of the field that you're going to target is the kind of weakness of the cover too. So like, I just don't understand. It's 75 yards to go, no timeouts. Why don't you just play regular prevent man defense, <laughs> like off coverage, or even if they catch it, make sure they're inbounds toward the middle of the field. They can keep draining the clock. Like they just that call seemed to just play directly into the only option the Dolphins had, which was you know a corner route and then getting the field goal range. But if you watch the other end of the field, like Mullins took with his guy the whole way. So I just think it's also there's also common sense there. I think if you're Damon Arnett, obviously he's a rookie or whatever, but common sense if you're on somebody and there's no one else near you, you should probably keep going with that guy. I would think. And I don't know why he would stop and look for. I don't know what he's looking for, but I just think it's basic. To me, common sense is you stick with the guy you're on and make sure that guy doesn't make a play. So, and Isaiah Johnson, I'm sure, was probably supposed to be closer to him than he was. He was way too far off when he couldn't react to it. So, there shouldn't be that much open space between Arnett and Isaiah Johnson. And obviously, Johnson's not an, not an experienced safety. I mean, he's a cornerback by trade who, who you know, was a former wide receiver in, in college even. So, it's not really his natural position either. I know Ted did a story, I think this week on kind of the differences between like zone and zone match coverage. Do you think, Ted, do you think that was just regular zone or zone match given that, that Mullen followed him, but, but Arnett didn't? It was just Arnett making a mistake there? It's zone, but it's uh, there's different styles of cover two. Like, you know, a hard cover two is when your corners are going to bite up on short stuff. And there's a prevent cover two where, you know, it's a, it's a common call. A prevent cover two is you do not come up until the ball is thrown. There's no way you should come off your guy unless the ball is is thrown. You have your eyes back at the quarter, you know, back to the quarterback so you can see what's coming, but you do not come up until the ball is thrown. And if you know that happened, they have no timeouts. The game is likely over. But I just don't know if they went over it enough or if Arnett wasn't paying attention because Mullen looked like he was doing the right thing on the other side where he was running with this guy and he looked like he wasn't gonna you know move off his guy. But on the other side, Arnett looked like he was playing just a regular cover two where he's just letting his guy through into that window where, you know, you're talking about on the sideline. I was going to say, I guess like one thing we could mention is, you know, defensive backs coach uh, Jim O'Neill didn't didn't coach today for COVID-19 related reasons. So maybe that is a small thing that a, a DB coach is like, hey, you know, especially to the rookie, don't forget, you know, don't do that. You know, I don't know if that would have happened or not, but kind of those small things. That's a good point. Also, his number two guy, uh, Terry Johnson, also wasn't there. So both their top uh, DB coaches were not there. That's a good point. I mean, obviously no excuse, but that's still, it's a, I guess that's a small sliver of, of, an, of an excuse. Were they coaching during the week at all? 
Uh, O'Neal wasn't. He's been gone. But uh, uh, Johnson was there, I think, till uh, till yesterday, I believe. He was a late a late scratch. But I think the plan before yesterday was that Tabor was going to be there and O'Neal wasn't going to be there. I mean, even the opportunity for them to win the game with a field goal was set up by what happened on the Raiders' final possession. And the Raiders, uh, you know, they had taken the lead 22-16 after Derek Carr. Hey, for a guy who was not very mobile, admittedly, uh, was able to make an off-schedule play, uh, scramble drill, and throw the ball to Nelson Aguilar for that 85-yard touchdown. Of course, the missed PAT by Daniel Carlson uh, proved costly uh, in, in a one-point loss, of, uh, certainly. But that, that had him up 22-16. Ryan Fitzpatrick comes in. We have that 59-yard touchdown pass uh, where the Raiders just displayed more you know, terrible tackling, terrible pursuit angles, uh, but Miles Gaskin on the 59-yard touchdown. But then it was the Raiders responded. Derek Carr leads him down. And they get inside the 10 and they decide that they are going to just run the clock down. They have opportunities to score. We see Josh Jacobs twice sliding down. Instead of scoring, he slid down. The Raiders were, were set up. They had third down at the one-yard line with 105 to go. And they take a knee to let the clock drain down to 23 seconds before kicking the field goal. What do we think about that decision? Do you think ultimately they should have just scored the touchdown when they had the opportunity and forced the Dolphins to have to score a TD? I know Gruden says he does not regret it. He regretted that they scored too early against the Chiefs and, and lost that game. But I, Ted and I were talking earlier and made the point that, okay, yeah, first down, second down, go ahead and not score. But third down, you get it down under a minute. The Dolphins are out of timeouts. Maybe that's when you go ahead and score. If you can, you know, I actually didn't have that big a problem with it. I know people, uh, fans are going crazy because yeah, I got to try and score, and they're saying no, Fitzpatrick's not, it's not Patrick Mahomes. But at the same time, on, the, on that last drive, Fitzpatrick was pretty much you know locked in, and that touchdown pass to, to Gaskin it was only six yards in the air, but he broke like all these tackles and he ran around guys, and that looked pretty bad. It's like def- Raiders defense at their worst. So I just think if you're John Gruden. Whatever faith you have built up over the course of the night is now gone. Okay, you know what? When he gets the ball back, they're going to score, whether it's seven or three, whatever. So we got to make, all I can do is minimize the time. I can't really affect them not scoring at some at some point, but I can take away the time which to have to do that. So I, to me, looking the clock down as much as you could made sense. Obviously, they could have done a better job with some of the play calling in the last you know minute and a half, but I get the overall premise of it. I thought that was the right choice. Just because, and I've been critical of Gruden for being conservative at certain points throughout this season, but I mean, I don't know how, like, 19 seconds left with no timeouts. Like, that's a pretty sure bet, like, almost all the time, even with the defense this bad. And so I think if they score early with a minute and a half left, and then, you know, the Dolphins come down and score a touchdown, then, you know, everybody's saying, ah, you should have, you know, drained the clock out. So I think either way it went, if they lost, you know, people would have critiqued the decision that he made. I think more so the issue was the the cause and just the execution in the red zone earlier in the game, especially in the first half. You know, just kept having these weird situations where they throw the ball to Jason Witten on a fade route, or uh, you know they had a Hunter Renfro catch that was was shorter the end zone, and some other situations. And, and red zone play calling, you know, was an issue last week as well against the Chargers. And and throughout the season, they just they've had a tendency to settle for field goals down there and, and not end up. You know, scoring touchdowns. Some of that is being conservative, but a lot of it is just they have poor execution in the red zone when it comes to getting six this season. So it's kind of 
ironic that in a situation where they they could have scored sixth, you know, settling three, I think is the right right choice in this this last circumstance. But I just think if the Dolphins had had timeouts left, let's say they had three timeouts left or something like that, to where they could have stopped the clock a little bit earlier, you know, maybe I, I would have just went for the six. But in that circumstance, I, I really don't think it's something to to critique from Gruden. I think that I would personally try to score on that third down. I thought that's what they're going to do. And if they didn't score, then they would be in the same situation where they could run the clock down and then kick a field goal. I would like to try to score on that that third down and then try to go for a two-point conversion just because I I think you're in a different world when you have to go down for a touchdown and when you have to go down for a field goal, even with you know 30 more seconds on a clock or 35 more seconds on a clock. But I don't have a problem with what he did. At first I did, and then I thought about it, and I was like, 17 seconds left, no timeouts, and they have to go that far? That's pretty hard to do. And there's only one of a few things that could make that happen, and it actually did happen. So it was bad. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Amazing when you look at what the Dolphins did after going to Fitzpatrick. Tua Tagovailoa was not having a good game at all. I mean, he was 17 of 22, I think, for 94 yards. They moved to Fitzpatrick and three possessions, field goal, touchdown, field goal. Up until the final two possessions, the Dolphins had averaged 4.6 yards per play. They ended the game averaging 6.1 yards per play because over their final two drives, On four plays, they picked up 109 yards, over 27 yards per play on those final two possessions that uh, jumped them up from the, you know, pedestrian 4.6 to a to a solid 6.1. I mean, Fitzpatrick, he's he is something else. Uh, He's now four and one in games in his career against the Raiders. The only loss was in 2015 in a game where he got injured on the opening possession. He's become a, a guy that the league loves to root for over the last few years just because of stuff like this. And. What did you guys think of that move? I mean, obviously, it was the right move for the Dolphins to make to go to, to Fitzpatrick. It wins them the game. It moves them a step closer to a playoff spot. It is surprising to see the way that they have done this, uh, you know, with a, a number five overall pick and Tua. Um, but, I mean, hey, I mean, Tua wasn't getting it done. Yeah, I don't think Tua was playing bad, necessarily. He just wasn't 
You know, he just wanted playing good. <laughs> no, just, I mean, even <laughs> it wasn't like he had a ton of incompletions or a ton of bad throws. It just, you know, a ton of throws that didn't really go anywhere. It was a bunch of, you know, check down type stuff. And I think even, you know, the, the, the long touchdown that, that they had, you know, they were Gaskin. I mean, that was just a dump off pass and he just, you know, made a couple guys miss and the Raiders had terrible tackling. So I don't know how great of a throw that was. Obviously the last drive was something different, but you know, I, I think, you know, it wasn't surprising just because, you know, that's something that they've done already this season, you know, when they felt like they, they need to make a change. And so, you know, Flores, you know, in the moment, you know, he's not worried about, you know, shattering, you know, young QB's confidence. So it didn't like wow me that they did that, especially, um, I think at one point in the second half, they punted three times in a row against this Raiders defense. So, you know, something wasn't going right. But, you know, obviously Fitzpatrick had a, had a hell of a fourth quarter. Yeah, you could tell talking to you know, the, the John after the game that he kind of was very confident in the game plan against Tua. And then when they went to Fitz, I think he kind of got a little panicked and said he's a gunslinger. He was hot. That was, you know, he definitely uh, – you can tell John's a lot of respect for him and, and some fear with his defense, and obviously the fear is warranted. But I think definitely the game changed at that point. I think the fake punt was a big play, but I think the uh, the quarterback change definitely was a, was a game changer. You know, just from a quarterback development thing, I don't think I, I don't remember seeing any team really do that where they have a first round pick, they decide to go to him. They were in the middle of a playoff run at that point. They really looked like the playoff was possible, and it still is right now. At that point, so if you make the change from Tua, are you switching gears from saying we want to make the playoffs to we want to develop this quarterback? And then, you know, now they keep switching back and forth because clearly they believe Ryan Fitzpatrick can move this offense a little better than Tua or else they wouldn't take Tua out when he struggled. So it's just a weird thing with the Dolphins. I, I don't necessarily understand. But going back to the Raiders, I really thought that, you know, even if Carr was going to play, they would have some sort of of Mariota package just how well he ran his own read and you know some of the things he could do with his legs especially in a red zone where cars immobility kind of really limited what they could do so it, it was just kind of puzzling not to see a uh, uh, um, Mariota get in the game at all I don't think Derek Carr's leaving the huddle <laughs> if you try to tell him to leave I don't, I don't know if he's leaving the huddle Take a Mariota zone read over a man. That goal line fade to to Witten is really grinding my gears, man. I cannot, I cannot believe they threw that. Like, are you serious? <laughs> what about that other that other like crossing route, like fifteen yards down the field? I'm like, come on, dude. Like Ted and I, like, again, we were talking earlier. Like, dude, there's left tackles. I mean, there's offensive linemen that are faster than Jason Witten. He was saying that it looked like a, a tackle eligible type play. I'm like, you find a lot of offensive linemen that can run faster than that guy. Colt Miller could beat him in a 40. <laughs> Darren Waller was going crazy. To, well, not crazy, but he was having a really good game, like on a limited sample size. I think like, I think he finished like six targets and went over 100 yards tonight. And so, like, if you're going to throw to a tight end in that situation, why not Why not Darren Waller? You know, obviously he's going to get more folk attention, but then maybe you get somebody else open. It just it is weird how they kind of – it's like they're trying to go against what you what they think, you know, which was expected from the situation. It's like, all right, you're going to throw the – to Waller, so how we're gonna throw it to Witten or Alec Ingold, or they had like a weird thing in the red zone where they more so go to deceive, I guess, the opposing defense than going to what their strength is. I had to check during the game if it was uh, Witten's birthday or something. What am I, what am I missing? Why they why they target him so much? Because they have been kind of phasing him out the last month or so. Definitely Moreau have been playing more, and we had the touchdown catch. So I thought that was a good thing. But today Witten, I think, had, I think four or five targets, and I think Ruggs had two, which is. That should never happen. Uh, I think that's um, another. You know, I think Gruden's made some confusing calls the last few weeks. Obviously, 
And I think that that was a big one. And also that the Rashad run when they were marching in the end of the, the first half, I, I thought it was a big uh, bad call that could have robbed them of a touchdown possibly. So I, th- I thought the play calling wasn't great again this week. I just sent you guys a picture. You you got to see this uh, this shot of Gruden and and Witten on the sideline. Just that just the look that Gruden has in his face. Just looking at Jason Witten, just like you're the man. Um, <laughs> it's look, <laughs> I mean, that, that photo just kind of kind of describe it. Kind of just just set the tone for what what this game plan was. Uh, the other thing, Foster Moreau, two snaps. I think that's one of the big things fans are getting pissed about. Is like. We saw what Foster Moreau could do last year. We've seen in flashes what he can do. And, you know, that was one of the big fears I think people had was when the Raiders signed Jason Witten is like, does this mean Foster Moreau is not going to be on the field as much? And absolutely 100% yes, he is. Jason Witten's presence has taken Foster Moreau off the field and they're losing out on the ability for him to make plays. That pick of Gruden and, and Witten must be after the first down catch. Cause I remember when it happened, like, I got like, Gruden must be fired up. Cause that was what he's wanted all night long. So must be after that play, but yeah, it's weird. I mean, they brought Witten to be a leader and I would say he's probably, they think probably a little bit of a better blocker than, than Moreau is. But at this point, I just don't get it. Doesn't doesn't make a lot of sense. I think you you know what you have at this point. He's not going to like all of a sudden jump off the map and make a bunch of plays. So I think um, yeah, Green's been a little stubborn. I think and probably not thinking uh, too clearly. But t- to me, Moreau is definitely a better player at this point in, in their career. I think Gruden is a pretty good play caller for the most part, but as far as short yardage, it's pretty bad. I mean, I remember. Last season, when Alec Ingold was perfect on short yardage, like he would get a first down every single time he got the ball, uh, up till like week eight or something like that. And then they started getting too cute and starting to do all this weird stuff, like motioning Josh Jacobs out the backfield and then running, just doing a bunch of weird stuff. And then ever since that point, they've been terrible in short yardage. And it, it doesn't make any sense. They have a big offensive line. They have Josh Jacobs, who's a bruiser. It's something that Gruden seriously has to self-scout himself on and, and figure out what he's going to do. And I, I think a good person to study is Sean Payton. You know, the Saints are one of the best short yardage teams. They Similarly, they have a big O-line too. One of the things they do is they use Taysom Hill a lot and they use zone reads. They use him a quarterback sneaks. And the Raiders are paying 7.5 to Marcus Mariota, who can be a threat. I, we saw how much of a physical freak he is in that last game. So I just think they got some serious issues as far as short yards they have to get better at because it's clearly cost them some games at this point you know one of the other stories of the season has been inability to get henry ruggs involved in the offense uh two targets no catches today they um threw that one deep ball to him there was one other pass to him that i think was deflected and uh, nearly intercepted um they did get him one uh one rushing attempt for seven yards but i mean obviously we're 15 games in we know this is kind of just what it is uh they haven't been able to really find the exact role for him in the offense. I think we all would like to see them attempt at least one or two of those deep passes a, a game to him. And uh, they finally did. And and, Dar- and Derek Carr, you know, to his credit, threw into double coverage and nearly, you know, Ruggs nearly came down with that. But it, it's just so weird that they pick him in the first round. They make him the first receiver off the board and really aren't game planning to him at all. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, I, obviously Nelson Aguilar, he had another huge game tonight, and he's been really good for them this season. But like you said, you don't take a guy 12 overall to use him as, as little as they have. You know, part of it is, you know, he's, he's been missing for a few games. But even when he's out there, it's just – it's not even the, the deep shots to me. It's just, you know, 
kind of the, the built-in catches, you know, the screens, the drags, the slants, the really easy, quick routes that you would imagine he can get separation on. You know, maybe he can't run a perfect, you know, post or corner route at this point in his career and, and get separation downfield. But you would think that, you know, he can get free on some of those shorter routes with his, his speed and acceleration. And, and even if you have to move him around the field, line him up in, in the slot sometimes, I feel like you, you have to get creative to get a guy like that involved. Obviously, the Raiders, you know, they, they target receivers. I still think less than any other team in the league percentage-wise just because they love using tight ends so much. But, you know, if it's Darren Waller or Foster Moreau, fine. But, again, like we've been hopper on it. Like, you know, Jason Witten has five targets in the game and then the 12th overall pick has two. You know, and, and he didn't get a target until the third quarter. And so it's just weird that they it's like they only take shots to him when it is the deep shot. Like they don't know that, you know, I mean, with the Chiefs, with Tyreek Hill, that's not all he does. You know, he has all these jet sweeps and short, you know, short routes where where they get in the ball and let him create after he catches it. And, you know, I, I just don't get why they didn't, you know, use him in that, in that manner more this season. Not to say that he has to get, you know, four or five catches every game, but, you know, at least more than he was. Yeah, I think it makes you wonder. I mean, at some point you got to wonder if they're – they say they like him. They say they, they got him for his upside. But you have to wonder if maybe they're not really totally happy with his progress so far. Maybe they're not thinking he's getting open. Or maybe there's got to be some kind of disconnect where we're now in week 16 and he's getting two targets. And we mentioned he wasn't getting five and just not being a part of many starts. He should be getting – figure Aguilar's done well enough that now he's getting more attention. That should open up things for Ruggs also. But he's not happening. So I, I definitely a question I have you know, to ask in the next couple of weeks. I think, you know, when that, that target he had on that basic in at about 12, you know, that 12 yard in route against Xavier Howard kind of shows, you know, he really needs to refine his route running. I mean, he took forever to make that break inside and then Howard's able to stick, stick on his hip pocket. I think there are issues that Ruggs has to get better at. I think that the Raiders knew that when they picked him, they picked him more for his potential. If they picked a guy like CeeDee Lamb who or Ju- Jerry Judy, who's a lot more polished than I think those guys would have been a lot more productive, but they like rugs for his potential. And right now he's, he's not there yet. All right, guys. Well, it's, uh, it's on to Denver. It's on to Tashan's guy, Drew Locke. That's uh, the Raiders favorite quarterback they face this year, but uh, a week 17 game in Denver when the season is essentially written off. I don't know that they'll have, quite as much success against him uh, in, in that one. But we'll see if they can avoid another losing season. I know fans at this point don't really care the difference between 7 and 9, 8 and 8. In the locker room, I think it is a reasonably big deal. I think a guy like Derek Carr, you know, would would much rather see an 8 and 8 mark on there. It would represent some small sliver of progress. I don't know that I would necessarily look at this as a, a season of progress if they finish 8 and 8 versus 7 and 9. Do, do you guys would you guys consider that progress? I, mean, I guess I would mathematically, but I mean, obviously, this team uh, when they're six, and, you know, you look at them six and three with the easiest schedule in the league remaining. You can't really be happy at eight, eight or seven and nine. So I don't think, like you said, it doesn't make that big a difference. But I get for them why it would. I get why you know if, if you're John Gruden talking to your troops in the off season, how you can say, you know what, despite everything that happened, despite all the COVID stuff and the injuries, all the problems we had, we still actually had a better record. We actually improved, and we're still on the right we're on the on that right path for making progress. So I get it. It's going to be tough. I mean, I think that obviously this is a big deflator this week. I think they definitely were uh, all in and, and fired up. And I think it's going to be hard to bounce back from this one now. Part of me wants to see Gruden just like you guys all want to see Mariota. But I think Gruden said, you know what? We're out of it at this point. We can't be in the playoffs. We're definitely mathematically out. And Carr definitely gave it his all. And it's obviously limited by the injury. So I'm going to sit Carr this last week and, and play Mariota and just uh, – 
I think that would be kind of cool. I think that would be good for everybody. Good for Derek, good for Marcus, good for the fans. So that's what I think should happen, but, but probably won't. Honestly, like they're one Greg Williams play call away from being seven and nine again, you know, potentially. And so uh, overall as a team, I don't know, you know, if you can really call this year a year of progress. I think offensively they got better, you know, and took a step. But defensively, I think they actually regressed this year, even with the additions that they made. And so, you know, they kind of were stagnant a little bit. But they had, you know, they had flashes, you know, the, the Chiefs win. You know, even in a loss, competing with the Chiefs for a second time, you know, beating the Saints in week two. They have moments where they look like they can do it and then they crumble at the end. And so I think we know that this is a good team. You know, it's just really flawed. And, you know, some of those things, you know, are, are correctable. It's just a matter of can they hit in the offseason, whether it's through the draft or free agency or both. You know, so far it's been one or the other or the other or, or in this case this year, really neither hit for them. And so. You know, I think you can kind of the structure is there. You know, I feel like you can see the potential for them, but I think they just kind of missed out on it this season. And so, you know, they might have learned some things. I'm sure they learned a lot from this year and about themselves, but I don't know if they really, you know, progressed this season in, in the way that, you know, what was expected. I don't think if you could call it progress. Uh, I think if they won this game and won the last game, you can't say you made a little progress. I mean, it's a winning season. You beat. You know, you would win two in a row. You beat a quality team like the Dolphins. You could have said you made some progress, but eight and eight, you know, one win over the last season, another late season collapse. It's hard to say you've really made any progress from the last season. So I agree with Vic. I think, you know, seeing Mariota in that last game against Denver would be good. And not to take anything from Carr, I thought he played as well as he could with his groin injury, not being able to move, uh, move well. I thought he played, you know, a good game for the circumstances and, you know, some credit goes to the defense too. They, I thought simplifying things, they looked like they they were playing a lot faster in the first half. Obviously there are some, you know, coverage blowups in the second half. There are a lot of injuries had to deal with too. So, you know, I like to see a little more Damon Arnett and Trayvon Mullen playing together. Obviously a bad rookie mistake, but Arnett's flashed this season. Maybe they can improve a little bit next week on defense, you know, see what Mariota has if he starts. Um, but, yeah, it's hard to say that there's progress this season. All right. Well, we will get back with you guys in the middle of the week and try to get you ready for this Week 17 matchup. I know a lot of fans want to put John Gruden on the hot seat. Knowing the way that contract is set up, I don't think that's really going to happen. But uh, we'll discuss that in our midweek show. And otherwise, that'll wrap up this postgame edition of State of the Nation. Check back with us again later this week, and we will get you ready for the Raiders and the Broncos in Week 17 in Denver. All right, y'all. Later. Hang in there. Grab a drink. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10 
$10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.